It's good to see everyone here tonight. Amen. Amen. Tonight we'll continue uh, in the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 30. Last time we met, we looked at the altar of incense and how it symbolized the prayer of God's people going up to God continually and that God's that the, that the prayer the prayers that we give are for God alone amen and they had to be done in God's prescribed way in the way he ordained it so we're going to continue tonight with uh, Exodus uh, we've seen and we continue to see instructions well we've seen instructions for the building of the tabernacle um, for the building of the furniture we'll have uh, another piece of furniture tonight Instructions for the priests as they serve. Instructions for how to use the tabernacle and everything in it to serve and worship a holy God. Amen. And um, do, do all of us, do all people, do all of God's children, those of us that belong to God, do we obey God entirely? No, if we're honest. No, we, we cannot. We're unable to. Uh, we, we, we cannot serve God or worship Him completely as He requires. But we have the blood of Christ, right, that's shed for us. So when I, when I, when I looked at this, this passage, again, we see God's instruction, His mandates, and how He prescribes the way worship, the way He would receive worship. And as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, well, God didn't make robots, right? We have, we have a choice. This worship has to be voluntary. And I get it. Sometimes we, we do things in, instinctively, but uh, it, it's not done with a, with a heart of worship or something that's from our heart, that's something that is sincere. So that's something I found that God was challenging me with, was, my, was my, is my worship for God voluntary in a sense of, is it a voluntary heart? Does that, does that make sense? Or is it just a knee-jerk reaction at times? Or is it just something to do? Uh, but, but is it voluntary on my part? So I, I want you guys to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we go through all of this. And uh, just, if I could have your attention, hopefully to the end, and kind of culminate it uh, at the end of the message. But at this time, I want to ask if you would stand and join me as we read God's Word, and the, tonight, uh, the title of tonight's sermon is Belonging to God, Part 2, Bought with a Price. We can add a slash to that, Voluntary Service unto the Lord. So, Bought with a Price, Voluntary Service. So, we are in Exodus chapter 30. We are going to read verses 11 to 20 to 33, sorry. 11 to 33. The Word of God says, The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. 
The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half the shekel, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel, and shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, five hundred shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is, two hundred and fifty, and two hundred and fifty of aromatic cane, and five hundred of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointed, anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them, and they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall, not, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that gives us understanding. And I pray tonight, Lord God, as we go through this text, Lord God, and I share, Lord God, what you've burdened my heart with, Lord God, that, Father, that it would merely be my voice, Lord God, but your words, Lord God, that your spirit would take over, Lord and the hearts of the hearers, Lord God, would be pierced with your truth, Lord God. That your name would be glorified, Lord God. Lifted up in this praise and praised, dear Lord. Father, we come here a needy people, Lord God. We're thankful for salvation that's been accomplished, Lord, as we sang that Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe, Lord God. So, Father, help us apply your word that we may, that we may worship you in love, that we may worship you in truth and in spirit. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So in those first two verses, in verses 11 and 12, we read that the Lord said to Moses, When you take a census of the sons of Israel, number them. Okay? So there, there would be a time. It wasn't necessarily right now, but... When I give the order, the Lord says, this is what you're going to do. 
you're going to number them. And we're, we're pretty familiar in this country with, with censuses. censuses. Every uh, 10 years, the United States conducts a census. The government requires that a count or a numbering of those who live in this country uh, be done. And, and that census that they take impacts the, need, uh, the needs of the citizen uh, and the impl implementation of government programs, policies, funding, education, etc. All right? But here in God's Word, it's nothing like that. The word census, uh, other than numbering, means to number. It means a head count. It actually means to muster or call to battle. Again, only those men who would go to war. That's what that word muster means. It means to muster for battle. So those were the people who were counted. And the way they would be counted really was, if you could just picture, basically each tribe would, would have done it. Uh, I think it's late. we see that later on in Exodus 38. They're, they're put on one side, okay? And these, these men are put on one side, and they basically go from one side to the other, and whoever's doing the counting counts them. So that's basically how it's done. And again, these were men who were old enough to, to fight. Uh, there, there, there would come a war, right? We know Israel would be at war, uh, a battle for the promised land, again, which was God's battle, uh, for he promised them victory. Uh, we read in Deuteronomy 31, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with, his, with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So again, this battle was to come, and they would, we know, looking back, that they would have the victory. So again, uh, this, the way this counting was done uh, from one side to the other. As this was going on, of course, there's people, there's other people there, and they're observing this, this counting. So the first thing, again, this is voluntary. Uh, a lot of commentary said that, but as we read the text, there is a penalty if they don't do it. But again, it's something that you have to choose, decide to do. All right? So there's people that, as they were counted... They're going to one side. Those that were being counted became known by other people. They were seen. They were observing this going on. So they're going from one side to the other. Again, and the whole, the whole census, the part of that counting, as we're going to see, was that they ultimately, these people, these men, belong to God. They belong to God's army. Right? They're old enough. It's God's war. He's going to fight it. They belong to him. So the people knew where they stood. They were going to God's side, so to speak. All right? So do people know where you and I stand? Again, the challenge, do people know where you and I stand? People that observe us, people that know us, do they know that we stand for the Lord, that we can be counted as God's people, that we can be counted as those belonging to God? Now the text continues, it says, When you take the census, each shall give a ransom. And this ransom, it says, was for his life to the Lord. Or some uh, translations say for himself, which literally means for his soul. All right? For his soul. Now, 
paying this ransom was to symbolically buy one's life back, and to buy it back from God. Paying a ransom demonstrated that the individual's life belonged to God, while at the same time, it was a voluntary surrendering to God by count, being counted and by paying the ransom. That word ransom, believe it or not, actually means bribe. To avoid impending punishment, the price of a life. Now, bribe actually, if you look it up, means to persuade one to act in my favor. So if there was going to be a penalty, as we read later, uh, that there would, there would be no plague, all right? So I'm, I want to persuade things in my favor. And we'll talk about that a, a little bit more later. Not that we can persuade God. But again, the bribe to avoid impending punishment is the price for a life. We see this demonstrated, okay? I mean, you see the word ransom here is, is, is really a synonym for redemption, right? They are redeeming themselves. And we see that demonstrated with the consecrating of the firstborn. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 13, verse 13, we read, Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. So a firstborn animal could not simply be kept from God for one's own use. Even if it were uh, for working or if they were going to use it for food, it belonged to God. So it was not redeemed. It was destroyed. And the price of a life, a ransom, that which is to avoid impending punishment is a buying back, so to speak. Again, the purpose of it is actually an admission of who you belong to, right? Because God has required that ransom, that it be paid, because God is saying, you are my people, you belong to me. So paying the ransom really demonstrated two things. It demonstrates their complete surrender and submission to God, and that they belong to him, and that there has to be an atonement, it says, it's said in the text, made for himself, or actually for their souls, all right? So as, as, and as we continue in verse 12, it says that this is done, that there be no plague, right? No plague. The word plague means collision. It means blow. It means affliction. In other words, that there would be no judgment if God were disobeyed. No, be, excuse me, that there would be no ju- judgment because God would have been disobeyed. Now, you and I, uh, preaching to the choir here, Uh, We've been ransomed, we've been redeemed, amen, with the precious blood of our Savior Christ. And that we would not be on the receiving end of God's judgment, of God's wrath and eternal separation from Him, amen. Acts 4.12 says, And there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name by which we must be saved. Just as with salvation, where there is no other name, this ransom had to be carried out as God ordained. Otherwise, he says that there would be a penalty. Now in Samuel, we're told uh, about the Lord and his anger, all right, uh, was kindled against Israel 
with David as the king, that they were disobedient. And it's summed up really in 1 Chronicles uh, this way in chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Satan stood against Israel and cited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. But Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord the king, all of them my lord's servants? Why then should my lord require this? Why should it be a cause of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David. In all Israel there were 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and in Judah 470,000 who drew the sword. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Jacob. But God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. So why was Israel struck him? Because God decided to use this, all right, use this census to judge them. Where David uh, went wrong was that he didn't conduct the census for the right reasons. We, we read at the first, the first verse, it says the, that Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So there would have been at least two things that David would have done wrong that I can see. First, his motive for doing the census. His motive, perhaps, he numbered the men so he could boast of his own military power, or he just wanted to know how many men he had and did not take uh, the required ransom. So he'd done something not in accordance to God's prescribed manner, as we read in Exodus. Again, each shall give a ransom, that there be no plague among them when you number them. A.W. Pink says it this way, When God numbers or orders anything to be numbered, taking the sum of them denotes that they belong to Him and that He has the sovereign right to do with them as He pleases. The action itself says of the things numbered, These are mine, and I assign them their place as I will. Therefore, the only proper way to count the Israelites was for the glory of God alone. Amen? It's God's prescribed way. It's for His reason. It's for His will. God will not share His glory, right, with anyone or anything. When we rob God of His glory, you know, it just made me think He will not allow it to go unpunished. In Isaiah, we see that in Isaiah 48. For my own so sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. It's not a sin to take a census, but it would have been a sin to rob God of His glory. And that's most likely what David had done. Disobedience to God is met with judgment, right? We read that in all throughout Scripture. And just as David was disobedient in carrying out the census, as God prescribed, he was met with judgment. But when we are obedient, right, we, we're blessed, aren't we? Amen? And we see that in God's Word. Uh, Two places stuck out to me, Deuteronomy chapter 6, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our, God, for our good always, 
that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, and he has commanded us. That was true then, it's true now. And John chapter 9, we know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Amen. So we who belong to God, we who do his will, God hears us. Amen. Amen. We are a blessed people because Jesus puts us in that right standing before God, that we would avoid the judgment, that a ransom, again, so to speak, was paid. We are redeemed. We've been atoned for. We are covered. We have been made right with God. Now, as we continue in the text, in uh, verses 13 and 14, we learn uh, a little bit more about the ransom and uh, what the ransom is and, and who uh, would pay this. Uh, in verses 13 and 14, each one who is numbered in the census shall give this. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 garas. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. So the requirement was a minimum age of 20, right? 20 year old males. And this ransom that was paid, which was, again, once again, symbolic of redemption. Uh, and later on, and we'll see it later on in verse 16, that it's referred to as atonement money. Now, this ransom really did not atone for sin. Again, it's symbolic. What it did was it saved the lives of those who voluntarily paid, right? It said in there that those that didn't pay, right, you would, you would pay this ransom so that there would be no plague so that there would be no judgment. So this would have to be voluntary, voluntarily paid, and it saved them from God's judgment for that, if that were an act of disobedience. Now, I must constantly remind myself that I am not my own, that I belong to God. I don't know if you're like me. I just It's kind of like a reality check. It's kind of, I have to constantly remind myself, of who I am. And, we, and, we, and I, I just want to share some verses with you. 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, or do we not know that your body, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I have to constantly remind myself that I belong to God and that I have to worship Him. But again, it's a decision. I have to surrender myself, submit to Him. 1 Corinthians 7, You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 1, Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. As we sang, right? Jesus paid it all, all to Him, I owe. We're on, we are unable to pay that debt on our own, and we were spared because of Christ. So now this ransom, uh, this bribe, the definition, again, to persuade one uh, to act in my favor, not that we can persuade God 
in, in any way. But again, the symbolism of it, the, the wrath that was reserved for me has been transferred, right, to Christ. So that is what is happening. It is symbolic, all right, that, that there would be no plague, there would be no judgment against us because we belong to Him. And God cannot be bought. Amen? Job 34 says, who shows, again, speaking of God, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of His hands. Which leads us right into verse 15 of Exodus 30. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. Uh, Matthew Poole's commentary says, uh, says it this way. This, about verse 15, this was partly to teach them that all souls are of equal worth in themselves and price with God, and that there is no respect of persons with God and in God's worship service, but gospel graces, ordinances, and privileges are common and equal to all that all persons are alike obnoxious to divine justice and are redeemed by one and the same price, partly to check the arrogance and vanity of the rich, who are very apt to despise the poor, and partly that by this means the number of the people might be exactly known when occasion required it. Now in there, Poole says, but gospel graces, ordinances, and privileges are common and equal to all. God is a fair God. He's a just God. He's an equitable God. We read in Galatians chapter 3, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Colossians 3.11, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Each person paid the same price when they took this ransom. The rich paid the same as the poor. Each person is equal in God's sight. God is not nor can he be persuaded by a person's economic status or service or anything like that. Those who serve in ministry or simply though as we as we serve in our giftedness, right? Uh, we all do so on level ground. No one is more important. No one is better. No one shines more in God's eyes than the other. We're all about the kingdom's work. God sees us all equally. And at the end of verse 15, it says uh, that it is this ransom is to uh, atone for yourselves or to atone for your lives. Again, this describes the process of redemption. Someone had to pay the price, so to speak. And that's where Jesus made, made his substitutionary atoning sacrifice, which redeems you and I. He died for all humanity. And for me to say that I believe in Jesus plus do good deeds in order to spend eternity with him is wrong. For me to say I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins, that he was buried that he rose again and that he's coming again and then pray to a saint is wrong. That's not proper worship. One price, one payment, one salvation, Jesus accomplishes it all. 
Jesus paid the same price for the young, for the old, for the male, for the female, for the rich, or the poor. They all have, we, we all have just as much need for Christ as the next person. Proverbs 22 says this, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So we read that the ransom would be, uh, uh, that what the, we read in verse 16 what the ransom will be used for. It says, You shall take this atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring people of the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. So the money would be used for the upkeep of the general expenses related uh, to proper worship. Uh, the giving of the ransom uh, would serve, as it says, as a remembrance, as a memorial. By paying a ransom, it would bring Israel again to a remembrance of whose they are, of God's own, uh, the upkeep of the tabernacle. The up, say, for example, the upkeep of this church as you come in, as we walk into this sanctuary. It should bring to remembrance who we are, that Christ paid a price for us, that we belong to Him. When the Israelites entered uh, the courtyard, the court there, the tabernacle, and they saw the brazen altar, um, they had to rejoice. Better is one day in your courts, Lord. Why? Because that brazen altar symbolized the forgiveness of their sins, that they could have communion with God. So this, this ransom would serve as a remembrance. Again, money cannot make an atonement for the soul, but it may be used for the honor of Him who has made that atonement for us, as well as the maintenance of the preaching. So we could say the maintenance of the preaching of the gospel of repentance. Again, the example here, this church, this body, uh, 31 Passaic Avenue, Bible Baptist. Uh, you've got to be 18 years old to be, a, to be an active member, to be a voting member. Uh, you sign a covenant. And in that covenant, uh, it basically says that uh, you're going to serve and, and give to the ministry here, which is voluntary. We don't call you up. We don't... Uh, Pastor doesn't say, all right, Len, who didn't tithe this week? Who didn't, uh, you know, we don't keep, we keep track of for your taxes, but not who gives what in, the, in that sense. Um, your, your service as a member and, and, and tithe testify of who you belong to. All that is, is a remembrance and a reminder to us of who we belong to. No one, the, the person next to you, Paulette, you don't know how much I give. Uh, Melanie doesn't know how much you give. Nobody knows, okay? That is all in secret, but you know by doing that, you're doing that because voluntarily you're saying, I belong to God. I belong to Him. I am His child. So again, no one uh, is more important. No one is more uh, influential uh, than another. but we, we become members, uh, we serve, we serve in our giftedness and contribute to the cost associated with having a local church and doing so, we are testifying collectively that we are not our own, but we are bond servants to the Almighty Savior, not to a pastor, not to a board, not to people, but to Christ alone. That is our testimony. 
Again, this ransom was voluntary. We don't mandate it. You sign that covenant if you're a member. We're going to take you on the honor system. That now is between you and God, all right? Because it has to be voluntary. God says, I want a cheerful giver, all right? And we continue in the passage, verses 17, 21. The next section, the Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze. Now, strangely, we're not given any more, really any more details about this basin. Later on in chapter 38, it says that uh, the one who fashioned this uh, basin, he made the basin of bronze and a stand of bronze uh, and a stand of bronze from mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. What it meant by the mirrors is that that bronze was so polished that it was reflective. Okay? So, so now you have this, this, this reflective metal. Again, once again, as with the altar of incense, God continues, as we read, the instructions for its use. He says it's for washing. You shall put it, you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering or to the Lord, they shall wash with water. Why? So they may not die. Did they have to wash? No. But to avoid death, they had to wash. All right? So is what we do voluntary? Is our service to God voluntary? Do we do a voluntary heart? It says, they shall wash their hands, just to finish the passage, and their feet, so that they may not die. It shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The laver, again, stood between the tent and the brazen altar. It was filled with water. And again, as we read, it was so the priests could wash, they could cleanse themselves. Now, we see water in Scripture. And Scripture uses water, you know, one way it uses water is to symbolize the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, we read, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he, he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Scripture also uses water to symbolize the Word of God, to being washed in the Word of God. John 15, 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. Again, Jesus speaking of His overall teaching about Himself and the Gospel. And then in Ephesians, popular uh, passage, chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, were to wash our wives with the word of God, to cleanse them. The laver here represents the word of God that cleanses both mind and heart. As Jesus said in chapter 17, 
Sanctify them in truth, and your word is truth. Again, we were told that this laver was constructed of polished bronze, all right, and, and that it's filled with water, which represents God's word to cleanse. And we were told, in, as we looked briefly at chapter 38, it was polished. It was reflective. And, and James talks about Scripture, right, being a mirror. Okay, so, so God's Word reveals the real me, doesn't it? The natural me, who I am apart from God. James chapter 1, verse 22, uh, 22 to 25. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face. Again, I see myself clearly in God's Word. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and per perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So again, that, that laver represents the, the word of God to us today, that it cleanses us. Uh, last time at the altar of incense, we were reminded that before the high priest could, could offer uh, the, the atonement for the nation of Israel, the, the goat, right? He had to make atonement for his sin and his family uh, by sacrificing a bull. As, as he made the offering and as he entered the tent, he would have to cleanse himself. He had to ceremonially clean in order to offer worship to God because that's what he says here in Exodus chapter 30. We too must be cleansed that we may offer right worship to our God. The ceremony in the tabernacle, as we've read, included fire, included blood, included water, all used for cleansing. We have been made right with God by the life of Christ offered on the cross. We have been made right with the blood, right, that was spilled at that cross by Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ continually cleanses us today as we belong to God. 1 John chapter 1, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing the, these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So even we see the laver, we see the, the cleansing of God's Word that we have today, that too is voluntary. I, I have to initiate that. right? God's given me His Word. I have to voluntarily open it and spend time and, and, and come to church and be involved in Bible study. Right? It's, it's, it's preserving us. Because, because of our disobedience to God's word, our minds and our hearts become defiled by sin. 
Only being washed in God's word can restore a right relationship with God. Once again, the water is symbolic. The priests, they weren't defiled uh, as they were serving. Uh, their, feet, their feet got dirty right, from walking there. Their hands became bloodied with the sacrifice and the sprinkling of the blood. In, in, in John 13, again, familiar passage, uh, where Jesus is preparing, uh, they're, they're in the upper room, and he's preparing to wash the feet of the disciples, uh, the twelve. Peter asks that Jesus would not only wash his feet, but his whole body. And what does Jesus say? The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. When a person, when you and I have put our trust in Christ for salvation, it's a one and done. Amen? It's, it's a done deal. But the daily battles that we face, the daily struggles that we have with our sin nature, all right, we're not always victorious in it. Amen? But we're familiar with Paul, right? In Romans chapter 7, that struggle is real. So although we belong to God, we, we get a little dirty uh, in this world. And, and we need to get cleaned up so that we can have communion with God, so that we can have fellowship with God now. We will be with Him in eternity, but He wants to commune with us today. If we cannot have communion with Him, then we won't enjoy His blessings. We won't enjoy His fellowship. For the priests, if they did not do all that God prescribed in preparation of worship, (laughs) we read that they would die. That they would die. We don't have that extreme but we, we, we get robbed of the blessings of, of, of communion with God, of being His instrument, of serving Him. Again, we too must regularly prepare our hearts and our minds to worship our King. I like what it says in Psalm 24. David writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul, to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Amen. And I, I, and we'll close with the, that final section there. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read that. The anointing oil, okay, the purpose of the anoint, uh, this anointing, uh, process was to make everything associated within the tabernacle holy. Logically, this meant making everything fitting to belong to God and therefore be placed in His presence. Everything in the tabernacle was set apart for the service unto the Lord. The furniture, the utensils, the ingredients for the, for the uh, incense and uh, the oil, the curtains, and the people. All these were set apart to serve God. And, and we, are we doing the same thing? Are we setting ourselves apart? Are we voluntarily, am I voluntarily setting myself apart to serve God. Again, this anointing oil was 
uh, exotic and costly in addition to the incense. It was a special uh, blend. All right? God gave special instructions, and they were valuable ingredients, uh, I'm sure, which would give them a considerable monetary value, uh, and it was to be used exclusively as God prescribed. Again, by providing that ransom uh, that Moses uh, was ordered to uh, explain to them, would provide for all that in the tabernacle. Again, the reminder, Jesus paid with His blood and His life in order that we, you and I, are set apart, that we belong to God, that we belong to the service of God. Jesus didn't just die to save us from hell. And I love you all, but Jesus, Jesus didn't die so he can hang out with you in, in heaven either. Jesus died to redeem us. Jesus died that we that are here now would serve him, that we would testify that we belong to him, that all that we have, all, whatever God has given us, our talent, our money, our time, our family, it all belongs to God. And all should be consecrated for God's service. First Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So I want to close and recap with with this. We read in this passage that a census was order, ordered. And I hope what we learned was that this census was a voluntary surrender. Right? These, these men voluntarily walked from one side to the other as they were counted. And I asked myself, do I stand up for Jesus? As these men were observed by all these people, as we are observed, does my life, does what I do, do I stand up for Jesus? Do people know who I belong to? What areas of my life? Again, we're not perfect. Lord, show us what areas need to be surrendered, what areas need to be submitted to you, because, because I love you. And to show my love for you, I need to obey your word. That's how you receive my love. And then we learned a little bit about a ransom. Again, the voluntary support. Do I support the ministry of the gospel? Or can I be doing more? Again, is it, is it my tithe? Is it giving an offering to, to, to a VBS program, to a neighbor's day that's coming up, to uh, snacks for the youth? What, you know, what can I do? Can I do more? Again, but that it would be voluntary. That it would not be forced or 
were impressed upon you by anyone other than the Spirit of God. And then we, we saw the laver being washed. Again, the voluntary cleansing. Am I preserving my relationship with God? Am I doing that maintenance, so to speak? Am I asking God to search me? That I will be honest with myself. And that I would confess to Him because He is faithful to forgive. And lastly, the anointing. Is it voluntary? Do I, have I consecrated all that I am, all that I have, all that God has provided to His service? Am I using all that God has given me for Him? Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Father God, just thank You again for Your Word. And um, Father, I, I just can't wrap my mind around really entirely uh, belonging to you, Lord God. I, I fall so short, Lord God, uh, but you are so gracious and so merciful, Lord God, and you have provided a way for us, dear Lord, by the way of your Son, Lord God, and we thank you that the work is finished, Lord God. But Lord, I, I pray that a desire would grow in our heart to, to serve you, I'm not going to say more, but to serve you better, to serve you in a way that is pleasing to you, to serve you with a clean hands and pure hearts, dear Lord, dear Lord, as you have prescribed, Lord God, you're, you clearly say that if you, your son said, if, if we love you, that we will obey your command. So Father, may, may we grow into obeying your commands voluntarily from, from our heart, Lord God, not Again, a knee-jerk reaction or out of obligation, Lord God. It is owed to you, yes, but we want to love you in our service to you. And that has to be voluntary. So just help us be better worshipers, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Len. It really is something to see all the commands of God and all these details that God gives and, and how his standard is perfection, that they need to be followed exactly the way he laid them out. And most cases, it's under the penalty of death for failure. And we can relate that to his perfect standard in our lives where the, the wages of sin is death in our life. But even even... Even more amazing still is to see what we have in Christ Jesus, right? That he, as, we, as Pastor Len went through it, and he ransomed us, he purchased us, he, he fulfilled and satisfied all the requirements of those ceremonies, that we are found ceremonially clean because of the ransom that Christ Jesus has paid. And so how amazing it is to trust in God's word and how sweet it is to trust in what Jesus has accomplished for us. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet 
trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood Jesus, Jesus how I trust Him how I've proved Him more and more Jesus, Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace to so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. Praise his name. God bless you all.